0: This is the Pastor Podcast with Randy and Andy. Andy Payton is the lead pastor at Methodist Temple United Methodist Church in Evansville, Indiana. Randy Moore is associate pastor at Methodist Temple. Their goal is to see Christ in everything and everyone. All right, we are back on the Pastor Podcast after a week off. I'm Randy here with Andy. And Andy, you were off last week. I hope you had a good time away.
1: Oh, yes, it was wonderful. We went to um, Gatlinburg and to the Smoky Mountains, and it was it's beautiful. Um, it was easy to experience God's presence in that park, so it was a good week away, but it's good to be back.
0: Yeah, I hope you had a great time. I know that you did, but it's as well, it's great to have you back. Uh, last week, I thought, you know, I was on duty, and I thought, well, maybe I'll wing a podcast on my own, and one thing happened and another. Some unscheduled things came up, and, and so we took the week off, and so it, it is good to be back, and let's talk a little bit about what we're going to do today. First of all, just quickly, the, the reason why we do this podcast is that we, we like to take last week's sermon and then just expand on it and reflect on it and see if we can make it sort of stick for us. Because often we can hear a sermon, even if it's an excellent sermon, and it was moving in the moment, we can move on with our lives and we don't think about it much anymore. So that's part of what we try to do with this podcast, and we also like to look forward and anticipate the coming sermon for the next Sunday. So that's in a nutshell uh, why we do this. What we're going to do today is, uh, Pastor Andy, you've been preaching on the 25 articles of religion for the Methodist Church, and we're going to cross the midway uh, point today. So we're going to talk about Article Number 12, which is called Sin After Justification. You Were Away Sunday, and I preached on a passage uh, from the Gospel of John. The title of my sermon was uh, Friends, and I delved into how ministry and mission is really about making friends right where you are and and around the world, so we'll talk about that. And then article number 13 is about the church, and so we'll uh, give sort of a preview of that. But before we get started, and you've already started, we would like to ask each other how it is uh, with our souls, and so your soul is somewhat refreshed, I would think, and it's prospering because you've been able to spend some time away with your family and and just enjoying yourself.
1: Yeah, um, like I already said, it was a good week away, and that is a beautiful place if you've ever been to the Smokies. And and yes, we were able to see two bears as well. Uh, they were both asleep in the tree, but. Um, I think more than anything, what I enjoyed the most was just being with my girls and being with my wife and being with my family and and uh, having a week away just to kind of enjoy one another.
0: Did you get a picture of the bears? I know you even brought that up in your sermon oh, about another bear, not this one.
1: I did. I have I have <laughs> pictures to confirm both bears. Um, and so, yeah, it was uh, it was successful in that sense. Everybody wants to see a bear when they go to the Smokies, and we saw a bear in the Smokies twice. <laughs>
0: Well, I've been here almost a year and a half, but I'm still, I'm still experiencing firsts. And I did my first baptism last Sunday, and uh, it's the first one I've done since I uh, left Baker Chapel United Methodist Church, where I did many. Mm-hmm. What's wonderful about Facebook, uh, you know, it's it's it really is a two-edged sword. Everything about social media is, but one thing that's wonderful about it. Um, I see the children uh, that I baptized at Baker Chapel all the time on Facebook. And the first child that I baptized is like 12 years old now. Mm -hmm. That's really cool. So baptisms are are special. And um, we've talked about prevenient grace. That was the topic of one of your sermons. And I think infant baptism is a beautiful example of prevenient grace. This child who's unaware that God even exists, but God knows about this child, and God loves this child right, right from the beginning. Okay, let's jump right on in. Article number 12, Sin After Justification. Here's the description. Not every sin willingly committed after justification is the sin against the Holy Ghost and unpardonable. Wherefore, the grant of repentance is not to be denied to such as fall into sin after justification. After we have received the Holy Ghost, we may depart from grace given and fall into sin and, by the grace of God, rise again and amend our lives. And therefore, they are to be condemned who say they can no more sin as long as they live here or deny the place of forgiveness to such as truly repent. I wanted to make this observation, Andy, and and get your comment on it. I said in my sermon, and uh, I opened up my sermon by uh, saying that the church really loves a lot of big words. They, they really love a $5 word, what a 50-cent word we'll, we'll use, and we've run into a lot of them here. But I noted that in, in exploring these 25 articles of religion, you don't use those big words. And I said, I, I've been really impressed by that because you've taken English, you've taken an older English, and translated it into modern English, and you haven't changed the meaning. You've just, you've just made it more approachable with the language that we use today. So th- that's, been, that's been an interesting thing that you've done during this, and it's been very, very hopeful. Because this, uh, this article right here is, is about the fact that once we are justified, once we are saved, once we are accepted— uh, we continue to sin and there were those who thought that no if you're if you're truly justified Then you sin no more. Well, we know by experience that we continue to sin We don't know anyone who once they've come to Jesus so to speak that they just stop sinning And so you answer that question, but you do it in in Another way, you know, you just do it in another way and that must have been intentional on your part
1: Yeah I- an article like this is hard to navigate. The words are big. The ideas are complicated. And in some ways, the questions that were being asked when these articles are written are not exactly the same as the questions that we're asking today. And so um, the reason why I try to stay off of these complicated words is because um, it can be cumbersome to help people see the practical point that we can make from them. So, Yeah. I, I appreciate that you noticed that <laughs> because it can be hard to do. Um, but what this article really points to, though, is this idea that um, there are degrees, in, in a sense, of faith, that we're not robots. We make choices. We can make choices where we walk closer to God, or we can make choices where we walk away from God. and And so I think of it more like a spectrum, you know? You come to faith, sure, there's this moment, I'll call it like a big yes. But that big yes has to be followed by a lot of smaller yeses as well. And sometimes, and we all know this, we've experienced it in our own lives, sometimes those yeses can become no's. We can begin to say no and resist. Um, Grace is resistible. And as Methodists, we believe um, in the idea um, that you can... I don't like the term backslide, but that's kind of maybe what we might as well say. We can slowly and surely walk away from, from a grace that we once knew. And so every day, really, it is important for us to continue to cultivate our walk with um, a living and loving God, basically, is what the article suggests. And, and the choice is ours.
0: Well, we're going to, uh, back two weeks now, so uh, this particular sermon um, you opened with uh, with a line where you said the good news of the Gospels uh, is that we don't have to wait for heaven, and, and we can expect it now. And as we follow Jesus, our disposition changes us from the inside out.
1: Yeah. Um, heaven's a tricky word, as we've already noted. A lot mm-hmm. of the words that we use are very tricky. but. Um, When we use the word heaven, a lot of times we're going to think of things like streets of gold and being reunited reunited with our loved ones, and essentially heaven is often associated with the afterlife. But heaven really, in terms of the gospel, is about a qualitative change in this life. As we begin to follow Jesus, what happens is we tune in to the spiritual dimension within our lives. and that's kind of complicated even in and of itself to talk about the spiritual dimension of our lives. What are we getting at? Well, um, as we become more aware of God's presence, basically our disposition, our knee-jerk reaction towards our lives and our neighbors begin to change. And so there's a qualitative shift that happens in us through our faith. And so that's kind of what Jesus is introducing us to when we start to follow him slowly and surely as our faith begins to grow our dispositions begin to change and in my sermon i talked about some of those changes that happen um, one of the big ones that begins to happen as we're, our faith begins to grow our sense of god's presence begins to grow we move from a sense of isolation uh, to connection another thing that begins to happen is uh, rather than trying to control our lives we're able to cooperate with our lives because we know that we're a part of a bigger life, with God's presence. And then uh, another one that begins to happen is rather than happiness um, being determined by what we get and our consumption, really happiness as we mature in the spiritual journey um, becomes more about how do we give ourselves away, how do we serve others. And so if you think about those three things, um, I think those three things describe the person each of us deep down we want to be. And so basically what the gospel is, is an invitation to circle back around to this idea of heaven now. Um, Our quality of life can change as our faith begins to grow.
0: Mm -hmm. You've already entered into some of this, but you made this connection uh, to the love of God with our heart and our soul and, and our strength. And that we see our neighbor through the lens, not of suspicion, but of trust. And we cooperate with our life, you know, come what may and that happiness and joy is about giving our lives away. And then you referred to New York Times columnist David Brooks and his book, The Second Mountain, and Brooks uh, fairly recently, I guess, came to um, become a Christian. And you used his definitions, and you said that uh, heart is the desire to give ourselves away to something or someone.
1: Yeah, um, heart, soul, strength, those are terms like heaven we throw around a lot. Um, you ask any Christian, what's the main command? And they're going to say, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength. This is the Jewish Shema. Um, and they couple that, of course, with love your neighbor as yourself. Now, here's the thing about heart, soul, strength. I don't think we ever really take the time to define those very well. Yeah. And so those are mysterious words too. Um, and David Brooks does a great job coming up with some practical ways to think about these terms and. Um, As you said, heart is about that desire that we all have. Um, Deep down, we want to lose ourselves in something or someone. We want to give ourselves away in some big way. Uh, That's the heart part of us. Um, The soul part of us is that part that that weighs the morality of our decisions. It's that part of us that longs for goodness. And we really aren't free not to do it. If you stop and really are just honest with yourself... Um, We go out, we make decisions, and then we ask ourselves, was that really the right thing? Was that really a good thing? That's that soul part of us that's constantly weighing. And sometimes it can become exhausting, right? Like you're always evaluating um, whether that was really the best thing that we can do. It's part of what it means to be human. That's the soul part of us. And then strength, of course, is that part where we want to contribute to whatever it is that we give our hearts and souls to. We, We want to contribute in a meaningful way. Uh, and it's not enough just to, just to help. I think deep down we want to have some sort of mastery. We want to contribute, in a in a good way, an effective way. Like with you, Randy, I mean, you contribute in terms of your work at the at the news station, and you've mastered that over many years, and, and I'm sure you find great joy in that. And so we all have that kind of desire within ourselves. How do we contribute in in a sense of mastery now? The thing about our faith is we couple these heart, soul, and strength, of course, with God. Um, we find our deepest sense of fulfillment um, from our connection with God, the deepest sense of goodness from our experience of God, and then ultimately um, we use our strength in the service to God. And so that commandment really is pointing us into the direction of, here's the direction we look to to find our deepest sense of happiness and fulfillment. Um so, yeah, all of what David Brooks says is so helpful when it comes to understanding what it means to to cultivate, again, that spiritual dimension within our lives.
0: Then you moved from Brooks to Wesley, from David Brooks to John Wesley. Uh, when you were talking about there are hurdles, what are the hurdles to the things you've been talking about? And you could also call those Sin. John Wesley called them sin. And so you took the heart and the soul and the strength on these. And so, Wesley, you said when it comes to uh, the heart, uh, he warned against the, uh, the sin of schism.
1: Yeah, uh, well, that's one of those fancy words. But basically, we all, we all have this tendency as humans to shut our hearts off to certain people, especially people that we disagree with, or sometimes it could be people that have hurt us as well. And I know that second one is kind of complicated because, well, of course my heart's shut off to someone that hurt me. I don't want to get hurt again. What does it mean to overcome that becomes a question um, as well. But overall, though, that this, this sin of a schism, uh, this sin of shutting ourselves off to other people is something we have to guard ourselves um, against. Because so often what happens is someone says something we don't like. Someone says something we don't agree with, and we just shut them down, and that's it. The bigger sin, though, is we get busy, and we fill our lives up. If we aren't careful, we forget about that sacred dimension of our life again. We forget about the presence of God. And here's how I know it happens in me. I get grumpy. <laughs> I, I've, I'm standing in a line at the grocery store, and I'm grumpy, and I'm impatient, Hearts closed down, and I've I've in a sense I've fallen from the grace I've been given. I I've shut myself off to that that presence that love that I find my deepest fulfillment in. And so yeah, we have to be on guard on on this first one big time.
0: All right, and then soul, uh, the sin of pride as an unteachable spirit, according to uh, Wesley, someone who feels like they have nothing left to learn. Pride.
1: Yeah. Um, in, in some ways, this uh, sin of pride has is, is been defined as like, you get yourself so full of something that you have no room for God to enter in. That's that's traditionally how pride sometimes has been described. But the way Wesley talks about it is a little bit unique because the way he describes it is like, you got it all figured out, right? You, you don't have anything left to learn. In some ways, this This sin of pride, as he defines it, is a guard against religious fundamentalism, which is so dangerous. It's so dangerous to think, um, I have nothing left to learn when it comes to God. Because ultimately, what happens when we think we have nothing left to learn when it comes to God is essentially what happens is we mistake our egos for the voice of God and we feel justified in the things that we do. And certainly we can see that playing out within Christianity, but other world religions, um, people just, they just do awful and horrible things when they think they have nothing left to learn. And so what Wesley says is um, be careful with that. Uh, Always be open to thinking that you have something left to learn, even from people you disagree with. Again, even from people that you don't necessarily like, especially them, learn from them. go ahead he even named names uh, morgan yeah. morgan
0: and maxfield
1: yeah and and those names are meaningless to us but to him these were people that disagreed with him and he told the early methodist um, you need to learn from even these these preachers and then i think in that quote i used in my sermon he talks about even the poorest preacher in all of england the weakest preacher okay. in all of all the of london i think maybe is what he said um, we we have something to learn from even then so just think about though that the disposition that would create an individual. Every person is someone to teach me. Essentially, every person is a child of God that deserves to be loved and cherished, and and they have something to show me, and God has something to say to me through these people. Wesley even talked about that. He says, God sends who God sends. If you don't like them, get over it. They have something to teach you. And that's a hard pill to swallow. Um, in our world today that's so divided, um, It's one that's really needed for sure, and boy, that's a hard one. (laughs) The only way I know to be able to cultivate this is to rely on God and God's strength to help make it happen in me, which, again, is why I come back to God is the center point of the whole Christian gospel. Um, Morality is important. Ethics are important, sure. But it's a morality and ethics that are born out of a love for God, always without that, that anchoring anchoring point, we lose sight of the foundation. We're talking
0: about the hurdles, and we're, we're talking about sin, and we're talking about John Wesley's definition. And so we talked about the, the sin of schism, the sin of pride, and and uh, now we come to strength and the sin of omission, uh, the sin of omission, what we don't do.
1: Yeah, the good things that we failed to do. Yeah. Um, And of course you could apply this to, we failed to help the poor, we we failed to to stand up for justice, we failed to all those sorts of things. But another one I'll throw out there is we've failed to cultivate the gifts that we've been given. And maybe that's the subtle one, the big one that we should focus on. Like God's given us a brain, God's given us abilities, God has given us capacity to learn and cultivate our souls. We failed to cultivate those gifts we became complacent, um, retired from the spiritual journey. And boy, that's easy to do, right? I mean, we, we think, well, I, I'm good enough. I, I've got nothing left to learn. All those kinds of things begin to settle in. And we just kind of, I don't know, coast along when it comes to our relationship with Christ. And, and the sin of omission is meant to guard us from this idea of omission, omitting things we should be doing is meant to guard us from that complacency that can so often happen.
0: You got very practical at this point. You know, you and I are uh, charged with equipping the saints for the kind of work that you're talking about for the kind of service, and you said that in any organization, including the church, there's this thing where 20% of the people do 80% of the work, and you noted after COVID it might be a 10-90 split. And so I think that speaks exactly on the gr- on the ground level to, to what you're talking about.
1: Yeah. Um well, there's this tendency within, I'll just pick on westernized Christianity, U.S. Christianity, to think that church is a building that we go to, and it's a performance that we consume, and it's something that we get. We, we have this tendency to treat the church like we do a store at the mall, for example. And, well, that's just not it. Uh, Christianity. If if you're gonna really take that that walk with a living God seriously, then it has to manifest in, in what you give. It has to manifest in, relationship to the broader world, and it has to manifest in, basically the opposite of consumption. It it has to manifest in all those ways. If if it doesn't, then, well, I don't know. I I don't want to sound judgmental here, but. I wonder what it is we're doing then, right? I, um, the the problem with religion, and, and and I'll I'll pick on Christianity again. the The problem with Christianity is it's such a subtle Kool Aid that we drink. We we go to worship, we do a couple things, and then it makes us feel righteous, better than, more holy. When that happens, we've lost sight of the point. We've committed the sin after justification, mm-hmm. in my opinion. We've 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 lost the point, and the point again is falling in love with God, falling in love with that place that we really find our fulfillment. If if we walk away, we feel better. Then we've just sang songs to ourselves. We've prayed prayers to ourselves. We've preached sermons to ourselves, and. Man, I, I worry. I, I really do. I worry about Christianity in the West right now because quite honestly, it seems like it's been co-opted by certain elements of the political world and it's being used to justify those certain elements. And, and it's this us versus them thing. And that's not the way Christianity is meant to be utilized. Christianity is meant to be like this uniting force and this uniting agent within the world that brings healing um, regardless of a person's religious affiliation. So, anyway, I'm getting preaching, I'm sorry. No,
0: that's all right, that's all really, really good stuff. And so you had a solution and that was, do what Jesus said, uh, follow Jesus, and Jesus will show us how to take care of people, and then our own hearts and souls and our strength will, will grow.
1: Yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll, have, we'll begin to cultivate a whole new sense of seeing the world, basically. Um, if you go back to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength, maybe a helpful analogy here would be this: it's very close to the way the secular culture speaks of mindfulness. And now I'm I'm probably <laughs> swimming out in some treacherous waters for some people here, but just hold on for a second. Our culture has said that. Our culture has said that. Um, A person can cultivate a new cognitive stance to the world around them, their lives. They can distance themselves from the unhelpful, stressful type of emotions and unhealthy ways of seeing other people. When we cultivate faith and we see our lives as a part of a bigger life, what essentially begins to happen is we distance ourselves from those unhealthy emotions that keep us divided and violent towards one another And we begin to see some, we begin to see people through a different lens. We we cultivate what Paul describes as the mind of Christ. And so, yeah, follow Jesus and your disposition will change. It's a beautiful thing um, and a wonderful invitation that in some ways I see kind of being mirrored in our secular culture because sometimes the church hasn't done a good job presenting it.
0: Yeah, if mindfulness works, God's behind that too, even if those who are not practi- who are practicing mindfulness don't acknowledge God. I say that in my contemplative prayer group. Uh, I'm praying contemplatively as a Christian. I'm praying to sit in the presence of God, you know, by God's Spirit. But there are atheists who meditate, and they wouldn't put a God label on it, but I have to believe, and I'm not trying to force this on an atheist or anybody else, But what they're doing for me is they're connecting with what I call God, Mm -hmm. right? And that that training for that focus that you're talking about, uh, that attention to something, and and uh, avoiding all those distractions that we're so consumed with. You know, we've said this before. If it's true anywhere, it's true everywhere. And so, if
1: uh, you know, if mindfulness is true,
0: Mm -hmm. you know,
1: it's true for us as well. Yeah, I. Dr. Lisa Miller is one of my favorite people lately. In the past year, I've discovered her, and and she's a clinical psychologist, and she teaches at Columbia University anyway. She describes it as mindfulness plus when we're talking about the faith aspect of it. We're not just mindful, but it's mindfulness plus. Like We're aware that we're part of a bigger life. That life has something to show us, to teach us. And boy, that makes all the difference in the world. And so, of course, though, when we see ourselves as part of a bigger life, that has ethical and moral dimensions to it, of course it but it's a natural thing it's not like a forced thing as we grow in our love for God we will as Jesus would say we will grow in a love for the neighbor our neighbor The two are really one they're manifestations of the of our one that one relationship
0: and so you concluded uh, by saying that in all of this, we do ultimately find that heaven is not something that we have to wait for. It is available today.
1: Yeah. Uh, The many saints of the world, uh, the many saints that have come before us, their lives are indicative of that reality, that, uh, that if a person gets serious about cultivating what we call faith in their life, it can have a profound impact on not only that individual's life, but the life of the world around them. And so... It's what we need, in my opinion, and I know I'm biased here. I'm a pastor, but it's what we need in our world today. All right.
0: Very, very good, Andy. Let's uh, move on to last Sunday when I preached, and the title of my sermon was Friends. And I was looking at the idea of mission or ministry as, as friendship. And I was talking about a lot of the big words that we use in church and one of them that we don't use enough is friendship, but the actual word friendship is all over Scripture and it's in the Gospel of John especially, the, the Gospel of Agape and, and, and Phileo. And so I just kind of took, took a look at uh, through the lens of friendship, you know, what does ministry and what does mission look like? And I used that very familiar text from the 15th chapter of John where Jesus is with his disciples on the last night of his life. and Okay, I just did it myself. I called them disciples. They were disciples, but they were friends. Uh, Jesus loved them, and so he gave them this commandment as he's going to his death, and they are going to suffer so much pain because of this. And he says, hey, here's a new commandment. Love each other Mm -hmm. as I have loved you. That's friendship. And so I gave the congregation two assignments. I said... I want you to go home today and read the Gospel of John this week uh, through the lens of friendship. And when you have those friendship lenses on, you're going to see friendship just explode, and you're going to see the Gospel of John in a whole new way. And the second assignment I gave them was the practical one. I said, go to the Welcome Center in the Narthex on your way out, and sign up for ministry there at the at the Welcome table. And I said those jobs that you'll be signing up for, those responsibilities that you'll be signing up for, are absolutely important for the life of the church. But more than that, it's where friendships are made in the church. And I said, the vast majority of you can testify to the fact that the more you put in, the more you get out. And it's in your Sunday school class, and it's in the choir, and it's in the temple airs, and it's in all those associations that we make in church where the friendships happen, and that's where ministry happens. And so it was kind of a direct ask, but it behind it really was the desire that that we become friends is it uh, too much to ask that these people that come even even in this small space and the you know in our city is it too much to ask that we would all be friends you know it probably is on one level but it's something that we should really 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 strive for And so I gave three examples of uh, mission and and ministry as friendship from the Gospel of John. And we should probably start by talking about what's mission and what's ministry. I think traditionally we've thought about ministry as something that happens here and and in the United States. And and mission is something that happens uh, overseas. But they're really interchangeable. And when we talk about um, having a mission team today we might be talking about something we're doing across the street. Uh, I I always like to tell this story. In my previous church, uh, they were used to doing these mission trips, and I said, okay, great, uh, we should do those. But I'll tell you what, if there's one need in the church that's unmet, we need to meet that need first Mm -hmm. before we tramp off somewhere else. And that resulted in putting a roof on a woman's church who was a widow and her, and her adult daughter, who was blind, was living with her. So I'm like, yeah, oh, absolutely, let's do mission. There's plenty of mission to be done uh, in our community and around the world. But let's take care of our own. That, that's ministry, that's all, but that's also mission, you know, under this, under this definition. And so I looked uh, to these three stories in the Gospel of John. And the first one is in the very first chapter, and, of course, John the Baptist is on the scene first, and John the Baptist had his own friends, his own followers, and they were noticing Jesus. And Jesus was noticing them, noticing him. And Jesus turns around and says, "'What are you looking for?' Wow, I mean, we could, we could unpack that from now until Christmas, right? What are you looking for?' A very important question those disciples of John answer Jesus with another question, and they say, where are you staying? What are you looking for? We're looking for where you're staying. The word is meno, it's translated abiding, staying, living. And so Jesus said, come and see. And so they went to where Jesus was staying, and they formed friendships with Jesus by staying. So often in the church, and our church does this too, it's all about mission, 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 mission. Let's get out there beyond the four walls of the church. Let's get out there and and do mission. And and we say yes to that, but not before we stay, not before we abide with Jesus right here. That's what's going to empower us to go out to the world and make friends out there. But first, we make friends. Uh, here within the confines of our own church, then we go. Your comments?
1: Yeah. Um, well, the the idea that popped in my head as you were talking about that beautiful, it's a beautiful story that doesn't get noticed very often early on in John, where they say, what, Jesus said, What are you looking for? And then ultimately go and hang out with him and stay with him. <laughs> uh, I thought something Henry Nolan once said about the church, he said, uh, particularly about pastors, he said, the role of pastoral ministry, the role of the church, um leadership is to help the church not get so busy that they have no room for the presence of God to enter in. Mm-hmm. And I hate to say it, but sometimes that's that's very true. What happens is we get really busy doing good things and we don't abide with Jesus. Mm-hmm. We don't cultivate the ultimate friendship that we're called to be to be about. So yeah. yeah, yeah. Stay
0: with Jesus here, and then when you go. Take Jesus with you. The vine and the branches. We could unpack that whole thing. But let's move on to the second story that I referred to in my sermon last Sunday, and that's from the fourth uh, chapter of John, the woman at the well, or the Samaritan woman. And uh, this, is, this is when we go out. Okay, Jesus is out. Jesus is in ministry. Jesus is in mission. And he's going back home. He has to pass through Samaria, and he stops at a well, and a woman comes to the well. And Jesus says, give me a drink. Wow, what a bottle for this friendship in mission. We think that we have the goods to give when we go out in mission. Jesus had plenty to give to this woman, but he recognized that she too, to your point, that we can learn from everybody, she too has something to offer. And he said, give me a drink. Mm -hmm. Of course, that opened up an opportunity for him to say that he was the source of this living water. But again, at the ground level, at the human level, at the relational level, he recognized that she had something to give. And so when we go, we have to remember that we're going not to give away the goods necessarily, although that's important, and we do that all the time. We do that kind of a thing. But even more important, or at least part and parcel with that, are the relationships that we build with those that we go to serve because they have a way in which they can serve us too.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, it's, well, the Samaritan, I mean, there's no such thing as a good Samaritan <laughs> right. in the first century context. And so, that story to the first century hearer would have been wildly offensive to the folks that heard it. To me, or to us today, we, we know the parable of the Good Samaritan. We think of Samaritans maybe as a good thing, but no. It, These are people who worshiped in the wrong way. These are people who went to the wrong temple. These are people that literally, they would walk around the Samaritan territory so they didn't have to enter in because if they did, uh, there was a group of people that thought they would be unclean if they did that. And so just think about all that. And here comes Jesus. Uh, He doesn't really ask her to do anything except for, hey, can you give me a drink of water? Like, holy cow, that's beautiful stuff. yeah, I. You could go. We could go on and on about that, but I think that the point is made. Uh, just how countercultural the gospel really is meant to be. Mm-hmm.
0: The final story that I referred to. There are lots of these throughout the Gospel of John, uh, in the eleventh chapter. And you don't have to look all that hard. You don't have to strain to see that Jesus and Mary and Martha and Lazarus were very close. You could just tell that. They would hang out a lot. Well, as, as we know, it's very familiar, Lazarus died, Jesus got there, and he, of course he got there late, but he said this to the sisters, he said, where have you laid him? And he wept, and, the, and those looking on said, wow, see how he loved him. And so I made the point that I had just done a funeral for one of my, our people. And I said, every I told them what I tell everyone I tell whose funeral I'm about to do for their loved one. I say, hey, w- yes, we are going to celebrate this life, and we are going to celebrate the hope of the resurrection, but we are going to enter into this grief fully because this is a loss. It's an absolutely a loss. It doesn't matter if you live to be 55 or 105. It's a loss, and it hurts, and there's pain that will stay. And Jesus entered into the pain of Mary and Martha and Lazarus before he raised Lazarus. He didn't walk right right in first thing, boom, and raise him. Why? Because he's human. He's human. He was, he was pained by the loss of his friend. And so we're called to do that, to make friends, to build relationships right here and right now. And I'm trying to tie a lot of this back to the things that you were talking about
1: that is a little slice of heaven. It it really is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, And I think something you just said there, Randy, is very helpful in the sense that at a Christian funeral, a lot of times there can be a tendency to minimize the grief and minimize the pain and say, well, they're in a better place, they're in heaven. And of course we believe they're with God. Of course we believe all that. But that doesn't make it easy for especially the family or the people that were friends with this person. No, that the pain is real. The loss is real. Jesus felt that loss in the gospel of John when Lazarus died and, and basically gives us a model and gives us permission to feel that loss and pain in our lives today. And it's very human to, to experience that and, and to walk around it and to minimize it is just not healthy. So, yeah, thank you for doing that. That's such a great pastoral move.
0: All right, that was the sermon last week, uh, friends. So um, give that a thought when you're when you're in ministry. What we're doing is we're building relationships and we're making friends. Okay, just real quickly, because we are running out of time, uh, Sunday you'll be preaching on the 13th article of religion for the Methodists, and we'll be crossing the halfway point here, and this one is about the church. The visible church of Christ is a congregation of faithful men in which the pure word of God is preached and the sacraments duly administered according to Christ's ordinance and all those things that of necessity are requisite to the same. And we should say that if we were going to edit this, we would edit this to include is a is a the church of Christ is a congregation of faithful men and women and children of of people. But we've not edited these; we've left them as as
1: is. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. And. It's a pretty straightforward article, and the thing I I hope to talk about Sunday is, well, first I'm going to acknowledge there are a lot of reasons why people avoid the church today. I I don't think we can dismiss that, but then what I hope to do is get into why church? Why is it important? Why can it be helpful? Um, Why is it essential for a person to be a part of a community of faith and call themselves a Christian? Um, These are the kinds of things I hope to tackle, and look forward to it because as I think about my own life obviously I'm a pastor it's hard to imagine my life as a christian without a church not without a community uh, if not impossible for me to imagine my life without it so well we may
0: be the rarity I I talk about this a lot because we're in a new era where a regular church attender is someone who comes once a month. Mm-hmm. So for me, growing up, um, and I'm not trying to, you know, say that you know I'm better than anybody else, and clearly that's not the case. But we just went to church every week and all. After my college, I didn't go to church when I was in college, and maybe for the first few years when I was out of college. But my pattern has been to be in church every single Sunday. Well, now, because of um, everything that's going on, there's so much more that our families are involved in, and Sundays are never set aside anymore like they used to be. So it was easier for my family to get me to church on Sunday. So we, you know, we deal with that. And so, um, so we're not being critical of those regulars that only come once a month. But I think what we are trying to say is, even as we examine the church, you know, what is it about the church that will want people to be there and to, and to get involved, as we've been talking about, and to make it really uh, transformative in their lives, and so that, that that change happens on the inside
1: out? Yeah, and, and it's important to point out the just the health benefits, uh, the experience of well-being that a person finds by being a part of a healthy community, seeking to cultivate um, a sense of faith, a sense of experience of that higher power within their lives— there's there's all kinds of new studies coming out that talks about like how helpful it is to be a part of a, a community that shares a common purpose. Um, and I think deep down we're all kind of longing for it and looking for it. And when people come to the church and they don't always experience that, that can be very harmful and, and hurtful. And I get that. But, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I look forward to the conversation. Yeah.
0: Well, we'll share some of the off-mic discussion. We had talked before we rolled the tape, so to speak, that that maybe we would make the podcast a little bit shorter, and and we batted that around a little bit, and we had gotten to the point where we were going about 48 minutes. I'm I'm sorry, 38 minutes, and now we're approaching 43. So. (laughs)
1: Well, we are pastors, we're a little bit chatty, I apologize, and, and so, um, well, we should just say to everyone that listens, thank you for listening, and, and hopefully uh, you connected with our conversation today in some way.
0: Absolutely, we do appreciate the fact that you're, that you're listening, uh, we're, we're so happy that you're doing that, and I'm sure you might be like someone I talked to who said, I can't listen to your podcast all at once but I'll listen to it as I drive from point A to point B, and then later as I drive back from point B to to point A. And it's okay to listen to it that way as well. We appreciate it so much, and uh, thank you. And we will have a great week, and we will see you next week. This has been the Pastor Podcast with Randy and Andy. You are welcome to join us at Methodist Temple in person or online. Methodist Temple is at 2109 Lincoln Avenue in Evansville, Indiana. Our traditional Sunday morning worship service is at 830 with our contemporary service at 11. Log on to our website at methodisttemple.church. We see Christ in you.